o'clock on a Monday. Halford Bruff, Sports Sense 650. That clip you heard, that was actually from the Cardinals Raiders game yesterday. It's Kyler Murray running around. That was the collective Raiders defense. No! What a comeback. Weird game. Kyler Murray, largely ineffective for most of it, but then he started doing Kyler Murray things. Yeah. That's a tough start for the Raiders. Not great. Yeah. Not great. They're now over like, two. Are we in a good division, too? They're like, yeah, you guys are. <laughs> yeah, good many talented teams in this division. Uh, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Uh, Halford and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. North Star! Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today to the phone lines we go he's our nfl insider from football outsiders a presentation of the clayton public house mike tannier here on the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650 good morning michael how are you i'm doing better than kyle shanahan is doing this morning he just had to send an apology edible (laughs) arrangement to jimmy garoppolo so he could get through the rest of this year so what a fascinating dynamic at hand now you have and again a terrible injury for trey lance yesterday for those that didn't see it lance with about two minutes left in the first quarter, an eventual win for the 49ers over the Seahawks, snaps his ankle, broken ankle, carted off, done for the year. Enter Jimmy Garoppolo. So uh, the different dynamics at play is there's the disappointment that you lose this promising quarterback, your quarterback of the future, he's done for the year. You have Garoppolo come in and maybe an upgrade, given that Lance was still learning the ropes and making some mistakes. And then, as you alluded to, you have the Garoppolo-Shanahan relationship how would you classify that relationship right now? Because uh, it is very complex, to put it mildly. Yeah, I, I characterize it as like a troubled teen and a deadbeat dad. Um, they, they don't communicate <laughs> about real topics very well. I think, I think they just nod, grunt, and shrug at each other right. at this point. The thing is, I think that was where they were last year, too. And I think that's where they've always been. So we've seen this team go pretty far with the two of them like not really being on the same page about things. And, and, and that's the thing about Garoppolo. Okay, you know, Shanahan sort of you know, child-proofs his offense so you can be a game manager quarterback. And we've gone now from the Trey Lance, you know, will it be a touchdown, will it be a sack, will it be an interception, will it be grow- growing pains, will it be fantastic? We're back to, hey, it's third and six, and it's going to be a two-yard pass to Debo, and Debo will either gain 10 yards or he'll gain four yards and they'll punt, and that's who the 49ers are again. I love the start of your article, and it reads, for three years, Trey Lance has been like a much-anticipated production-delayed superhero movie. (laughs) We kept seeing trailers through 2020, 2021, and 2022, but the release date kept getting pushed back. It's a funny line, a funny analogy, but I feel bad for Trey Lance. Um, Where does this put his career? Could could this be... Could this be, are these types of injuries career-threatening? Not so much that the injury is career-threatening, but the dynamic of the start of his career. Mm. One year on the bench, getting spot starts, not being super successful in those spot starts. One year where we give, the the starting job is given to you, and then you suffer a career-ending injury. You don't have a lot of quarterbacks in modern history 
that their first two seasons are like redshirt years, you know, a regular redshirt and a medical redshirt. I I can't think of one. You know, Aaron Rodgers is not like it's not really an example of that behind Brett Favre. This is a guy they wanted to develop more quickly. So I, I hope Trey Lance comes back. And I hope that the 49ers turn around and say, well, here here's your starting opportunity again. But in the modern NFL, when you've traded three first-round picks, when there's salary cap issues, when players age and move on, et cetera, that kind of delayed gratification for a guy who costs as much as Lance to, 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 to draft, it doesn't really happen, and it usually doesn't turn out well for his career. Uh, game of the Sunday, no question. Miami 42, Baltimore 38. It was funny. I think every score in this game was like a minimum of 65 yards in length. It was crazy to watch play out in real time, which included a huge comeback by the Dolphins. So, you know, Bruff and I, we got, came in this morning. We're like, look, we don't talk a lot of Dolphins on the show. Neither of us are huge fans, to be perfectly honest. And then you look at their start to the season, and that's one of the best in the NFL. They went and beat the Patriots in week one, and then they had this kind of performance offensively in week two. We're just not sure exactly what this is right now. Was this like a proof of concept game that this offense can work with Tua orchestrating it? Because, I mean, six passing touchdowns, nearly 500 passing yards. That's an unbelievable performance from Tua and the Dolphins offensively. Yeah, that is the concept. It's sort of the Garoppoloization of Tua. He doesn't have to be great. He doesn't have to be Josh Allen. He can be fine. If Tyreek Hill is getting open by seven yards, and if when the defense tries to stop Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle is getting open frequently. And when the defense plays on its heels with two deep safeties or cover four or whatever, uh, two is fine with RPOs and little short passes. And now the running game opens up. And, you know, the Dolphins can score from anywhere because they now have this combination of players. So I don't think of them as a Super Bowl team by any stretch of the imagination. But this puts all those teams in the AFC that are like, oh, we're going to dink and dunk our way to success. We're the Steelers. You know, we're the Patriots. We're, we're, we're going to try, you know, we're the Titans, whatever. We're going to, we're going to do this like slow and steady wins the pace. There's a team out there that can just blow your doors off when everything's clicking and you will not have an answer for it. And that's the Dolphins. And that's why they really bear watching moving forward. Um, I have to mention real quick, one of those teams that I think a lot of people had aspirations for as being the mushy middle, but a playoff caliber team. The Indianapolis Colts, we've laughed at the Colts mm-hmm. a lot because for three years in a row, it's like, is there anything more underwhelming than the start of a Colts season where you're like, that's our quarterback. We, we managed to pick some guy that's at the end of his career. He used the, to be pretty good. Yeah, he was at one point he was pretty good, and now he's a Colt. Yeah. And now you're looking at them. So week one, just a gross tie at home against, yes. the, against the Texans. And yesterday, like my, I was watching the game with my buddy. He had Matt Ryan as his starting fantasy quarterback, and he looked. And he's like, Matt Ryan has negative three points for me today. And that kind of underscored how bad it was for the Colts because they got absolutely annihilated. And now you look at them, and they're like, God, you might not be a playoff team at all. You could be one of the worst teams in the AFC. Right. I don't think they're a playoff team at this point. You know, Andrew Luck retired, what, four years ago, five years ago? They've been on this merry-go-round of, yeah, here's our quarterback of the year. He's somebody else's problem, and we brought him in, and we're going to fix this somehow. And Yeah, Phillip Rivers was, was okay, but he was at the end of this line too. And then you bring in Wentz and you bring in uh, Matt Ryan here. And all I can say about Matt Ryan is, you know, Matt Ryan was in the Super Bowl uh, five years ago, and everybody remembers him, and then he disappeared. He disappeared from the consciousness of a lot of people because the Falcons play at 1 o'clock. They lose all the time. Uh, they're on, like, a regional game. No one watches Falcons games. At the end of the game, Matt Ryan would have three touchdown passes, and two of them were in the fourth quarter when he traveled by 24 points. I watched all those games. Matt Ryan's done. He's, 
He is toast. I mean, there's still things he can do. He's still a professional NFL quarterback. He's not the worst quarterback in the league. But he's really on the steep decline of his career, and he showed it last year, and he was showing it in 2020. And the Colts bought into this. And I think a lot of people who said, ah, the Colts are my surprise team, bought into this because they hadn't watched uh, they hadn't watched that Matt Ryan since it was 28-3 to in the Super Bowl. This is who they've got now. This is who they're stuck with. They're going to be a very mediocre Colts team in the year 2022. Hey, Mike, here's a headline from a Denver newspaper. This is a columnist that is not very impressed with the Broncos. This is the headline. Thank goodness Russell Wilson grabbed wheel of clown car from clueless Broncos coach Nathaniel Hackett. Not a fan of the rookie head coach in Denver. Mike and I were talking about it earlier in the show. We were like, I wonder if the front office is having serious conversations like, Hey, is there another head coach out there right now? Because um, like this is not going well, and it's not like we have a lot of wiggle room in this very tough division. Right, and, and you can't just trade horses after two games, et cetera. But the rookie growing pains for Hackett were extreme. The Monday night mistake was one of the worst mistakes that like lots of us have ever seen with clock management. He settles for short field goals in this game. He runs some loopy plays. Yeah, you know, with the tight end option, I don't even know what that was that he ran on third and short, et cetera. So he's got to work this out quickly, Hackett does, because what we're seeing now is a combination of just it's another chip off of the old Shanahan, LaFleur, McVay block, and we're getting diminishing returns. It's like looks like a copy of a copy of a copy where he doesn't have a lot of his own ideas to bring to the table, and where he does have to make his own decision, it's the wrong one. So they got to work this out very quickly because yeah, management might be having some issues, but if Russell Wilson starts having issues, then it's going to be a, a very tough skating for Nathaniel Hackett. Uh, speaking of crazy plays, did you happen to see the one Seattle ran uh, in the red zone uh, in their loss to San Francisco? I know I saw it on your Twitter timeline that you missed. I don't know if you had a chance to get missed, caught up. I missed. I've not. I've not seen it before. The four running back interception experience. Let me walk you through it. Four running back set, which kind of caught my eye. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, this could be something interesting. Gadget play. All right. It was a direct yeah. snap to Kenneth Walker, the third. He then okay. pitched it to DJ Dallas. Dallas then broke wide and later explained it that he saw there wasn't anything there and he tried to pull the throwback, but that didn't work. The ball came out and was a, a complete lame duck. It was supposed to be for DK Metcalf. Pick turnover and whatever chance Seattle had of maybe getting back into that game was gone right there. It's funny because some people said, well, that's a play that you call when you don't have any faith in your quarterback. And I responded, yeah. yes, that is the kind of yes. play you call. Yes. This is the Seahawks season in a nutshell now, I feel, and it's going to be very depressing. That's it. You know, and I know Gino completed a ton of tiny, tiny, tiny passes. That's what you're going to get. It's kind of what you got on Monday night, but he sort of scrambled away and the guy got wide open for a first quarter touchdown. And so you get this big play. It's going to be a lot of this. And, yeah, when I think of teams that should draw up in clever gadgetry, Pete Carroll and his coaching staff are not high on the list of teams that I trust to come up with the next Philly special. We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, let's look ahead to tonight. It is, it's a Monday Night Football doubleheader. The overlapping doubleheader. We get our second look at the Buffalo Bills, who now only exclusively play in primetime, uh, interesting game because they've got the Titans who suffered a bad loss to the Giants in week one. What are you anticipating out of this one in light of the fact that uh, some of the other contenders in the AFC saw what Patrick Mahomes did with the Chiefs to go to 2-0? and You saw what the Dolphins did to go to 2-0. and What about the Bills now? I think the Bills are going to answer that. And I think the Tennessee Titans, again, are a very 
weak team. The entire AFC South is weak. The Jaguars are currently in first place. It tells you all you need to know. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I don't know about the spread because the spread's a little bit wide. I'm kind of erasing what we saw last year where the Bills got surprised by the Titans in a primetime game and took a loss. I think the Bills are going to roll in this one. Two 1-0 teams in the second. That's a 5.30 start our time between the Vikings and the Eagles. I admittedly did not get a chance to watch a lot of the Eagles in week one. There was a lot of other stuff going on. I certainly did see uh, Justin Jefferson and, to a lesser degree, uh, Kirk Cousins kind of tear up Green Bay in week one. So this one's intriguing to me, although I admittedly don't know a ton about Philly. Uh, Get me caught up to speed here after their week one victory and what you expect on Monday Night Football. Yes, it's a wait and see for both teams. Like the Eagles showed all the things we knew last year. We knew the Eagles last year could beat weaker opponents like the Lions. We knew Jalen Hurts could run. We saw that. We knew the team as a whole could run the ball. So we saw all the things from the Eagles. We we knew we knew and a little bit of what we needed to see. We saw a little bit of A.J. Brown. Kind of similar with the Vikings because, you know, we know Kirk uh, Cousins to Jefferson can rake we know they can get to 23 points, you, you know, and, and they know, you know that when Aaron Rodgers goes into one of these modes where he's ticked off as his receivers, anything can happen. So both of these teams need to demonstrate sort of the next thing. Vikings need to show that there's more to their offense, that they can actually, that they have a killer instinct, that they can like seal the deal when they've got a lead. Eagles need to show they can be a little more conventional when they have to be on offense. So I don't have a pick in this game, but mm. we're going to learn a lot from it when it all is said and done. Uh, fine. A couple. I, I do want to get to one more thing. I actually forgot about it. I had it on the list, and that was Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm really, really curious to f- try and figure out what's going on here. Everybody there seems angry in Tampa Bay. <laughs> like it's just this sense of Tom's grumpy, and I don't know what's going on at home. But I do wonder if that mm-hmm. plays into it. And you know, there was a fight yesterday, and Mike Evans got in the middle of it. And you could see him mouthing the words that anyone that goes after Brady's like, "It's Tom Brady. What do you want me to do? I got to protect him." So I don't right. know. Ex- <laughs> they, they've won both games. In He's going to fight Giselle. Yeah, like I'm like, who's next, Mike Evans? I don't know what's going on here. But they're two and zero. The defense is amazing. The offense looks very, very pedestrian at times, and Brady looks frustrated. But again, they're a two and zero football team. I'm really curious to see what's going on here because I can't quite make heads of it yet. Well, let's see. Quarterback's going through a divorce. Mike Evans hates Marshawn Lattimore with a all-consuming passion. Chris Godwin's injured. Julio right. Jones is injured. injured. Yeah. The starting center is injured. The backup center is injured. Bruce Arians seems mad that he uh, retired from coaching and now wants to wander around the sidelines <laughs> instigating fights that. like Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> um, so there, there is a little, there's a lot going on with that team. That said, they're an incredibly veteran team, talented team, Super Bowl experienced team, have multiple paths to victory, and that's what we saw. Defense can step up with, with all this chaos and, and help them deliver a win. So it's a wait-and-see situation. What I say about the Buccaneers is they look very vulnerable right here, right now, but it's not like anyone in the NFC is stepping up and saying, hey, we're going to take the NFC from you. So they have time to sort of sort some of these melodramas out. Who is feeling worse about their season right now, the Cincinnati Bengals 0-2 or the Las Vegas Raiders 0-2? Oh, it's the Bengals. You know, Josh McDaniels can look at what's going on right now and say, hey, you know what, I inherited a team that was had no first-round picks for four years because Mike Mayock and John Gruden had no idea what they were doing. So I'm rebuilding. We're staying close in these games. We're losing heartbreakers, but we can turn this around. Bengals have to look around and say, we're defending AFC champions. And Joe Barrow's on, uh, on pace to get sacked a record 110.5 times right now after we signed three veteran offensive linemen to solve this problem. They've got to be in low-key panic mode in Cincinnati about how to solve this quickly because they could ruin the franchise if they ruin Barrow. 
Mike, this was awesome, man, as always. Thanks a lot for doing this. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the games tonight. We will do this again next Monday. You got it. Take care and enjoy your week. You too. Thanks. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Health and Brough Show. He's also our Monday morning quarterback. Brought to you by the Clayton Public House, 188th Street and 56th Ave in Surrey. Visit them online at theclaytonpub.com. So the Seahawks just had their first Seahawks game of the season where this is the team we expected them to be, right? They, they got real issues. Uh, they got inexperience on defense. They got a quarterback that's not the quarterback of the future. It's not a good team, even though they beat the Denver Broncos in week one. For you, mm-hmm. going forward, who is the team that you're now compelled by? Still Buffalo. Still Buffalo. I'm I'm pulling for them like I was. No, I'm not year. talking about pull, pulling for. I'm talking about... Which team, like, because the Seahawks to me might not be very interesting at all. Like, I'm not going to watch much of the Seahawks game next weekend. Yeah, against the Falcons. I don't yeah. care about that game whatsoever. Yeah. Right? No, I, me neither, right? Like, one of, one, what does it prove? Nothing. nothing. One of the guys that was over yesterday has season's tickets to the Seahawks. He spent most of the second half trying to, trying them. to sell them and hoping that no one was watching the game. <laughs> he should have done it. Earlier yeah, in the week. Yeah, well, he, well it, the thing was, he's like, if you know, if they win this game in San Fran, then I, yeah. I might go down and see no, it. But, now, but then he's like, oh, wait, they are exactly what I thought they were going to be. So Buffalo still. Um, honestly, I'm very intrigued by Miami, if mm-hmm. only because it's the way that they score. Like yeah. They're not a super methodical mix-it-up. Like, McDaniels is an innovative coach, but his innovation is, we got really fast, good receivers. Let's mm-hmm. just get them the ball and see what happens. Now, they're getting wide open. I don't know what happened to the Ravens secondary. They're so wide open, even Tua can hit them. Well, that's what Mike wrote in his piece. (laughs) He's like, do the math. If Tyreek Hill is open by seven yards and Tua underthrows him by four yards, he's still got three yards of daylight, right? Like that's the math. (laughs) So, you know, he doesn't have to be perfect. He just needs to get him the ball. And I, there, you know, here's the thing in the AFC. I still think all roads go through Kansas city and Buffalo. Yeah. I think they're established as the best two teams. In, mm-hmm. But I am looking to see who could be the next compelling team because like, I don't think it's going to be Tennessee, even though they were a high seed last year in the playoffs. Um, I'm not sure what the Chargers are. The Chargers always are a team that seemingly underperforms. Like You think they're going to be better, but they never do. And then we've got this mushy middle. So in the, in the AFC, I'm looking Buffalo, and I'm going to look um, – who was I just talking about? I wasn't listening. Uh, Miami. Thank you. God, I had an absolute blackout there. I was like, I was just talking about a team. I, I, I was going to tell you, but I wanted you to panic yeah. a little bit. And then um, NFC, I don't know, man. I think the 49ers just became a hell of a lot more interesting from a drama standpoint. Like, come on. Denver, Denver's interesting, though. If, if you, they're Denver's interesting. interesting they're interesting. Denver is in, I'm looking at a car accident. Hopefully, kind of thing, yeah. Right? Hopefully, like it's that bad through two weeks. I'll be paying attention, but quite honestly, I well, you will be because they play San Francisco next week, and you're curious about both I those am. teams. I right? look, I look at Denver, and I, I have no idea how good they can be because the two weeks have been so bizarre. Their right? defense looks pretty good, right? They've, they've been able to. Well, let's put it this way: they didn't give up a score in the second half last week against Seattle. They shut them down pretty effectively, and then went this entire game against the Texans not giving up a touchdown, right? It was just three field goals. So you can hang your hat on the defense, but my word, like everyone's looking at it and in the offense and their lack of abilities to like carry out a game plan. We got a text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Why don't you guys talk about the real problem? Russell Wilson is washed up. What made him great was being able to avoid pressure. Now he's lost his legs. And he's too big and beefy, very slow. I don't know about the big and beefy part, 
But this is something that we did observe during his time with the Seahawks. He lost his legs a little bit. Yep. Not completely, but he lost an element of his escapability. And the bet that the Broncos made was that in uh, with a new team with better protection, uh, maybe he can find that element again, or also maybe he's just like, he's a veteran quarterback. Like he's still a, uh, you know, mm-hmm. a, a guy that's done a lot and he has confidence. But if you're watching him, like, don't get me wrong. He made some nice throws yesterday. He's still, he's still a better quarterback than Geno Smith. Like he's yeah. miles better than um, a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL, but they expect him to be great. Yeah. They expect him to be hall of fame caliber and this texter, though harsh, is right that he had lost a lot of his magic. He'd mm-hmm. lost a lot of that escapability, those plays. Like, for example, the play that Kyler Murray made. Yeah. Now, I, 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 I'm not going to sit here and say <laughs> that Kyler Murray is as good as Russell Wilson was at when Russell Wilson was at its best, because he's not. But he has that escapability, and there were a few times where the protection broke down a little bit for the Broncos and they and Houston just buried Russ. Yep. I will say when it came time to make some plays to go and win that game as ugly he as did. it was, Wilson did. First three quarters of that game, gross. 6 of 20 passing. It was bad. But then when he needed to, he went 4-4. He orchestrated the touchdown drive. He made a couple nice long throws. I think one was to Cortland Sutton and there was another one a 35-yarder to Sobert, who I have no idea who that guy is. But uh, it was like he made plays when he had to. Yeah. And they got a win against a team they should have beat. But it was ugly, man. Yeah, it was gross. It, it was it was a really bad football game. I thought Denver was really going to take care of Houston. And they should have because their defense played well. Yeah. Right? They managed to silence Davis Mills in the Texans' offense. Man, he sounds like a CFL quarterback. It, it, Davis Mills. He, and he very well might be. Well, one texter. Yeah, one day, one day. Yeah. Russell Wilson would look very good in a BC Lions jersey. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm oh, sure he'd love – like, <laughs> guys, this is going to help my legacy. <laughs> we could sell yeah. him on it. Lions Nation. That's right. Can uh, you imagine? His tuxedo is, like, kind of tattered. <laughs> That's right. Oh, you know – That's right. What would his what, – no, no, no. No, what would his BC Lions uh, – what, what would the tagline – It's like, got to be let's roar. It, let's, roar? Like, rawr, let's roar? Let's yeah. <laughs> roar. You're like, roar. Right. Let's take the SkyTrain because we can't afford a bus. Yeah. <laughs> Sierra's going to leave me, isn't she? She already has, Russ. I don't know what has. the CFL equivalent is with the, the celebrity the celebrity singer wife. We'll have to come up with one. But, um, okay. We're going to move along. Coming up on the Halford of Rough Show on Sportsnet 6, we're going to dive back into the NHL talk. Uh, Jim Tote's going to join us from Winnipeg. It was a pretty wild Friday and subsequent weekend for the Jets in the aftermath of stripping Blake Wheeler of the captaincy and then making him talk about it and then not naming a new captain and then having uh, Mark Shifley say that he was completely caught off guard by this news. Like I don't know who thought out this strategy for the Jets, but it doesn't seem like they're a strategic genius. Yeah. Moving forward. Um, also, we got some news from around the NHL. It's full-on PTO season. Sonny Milano to Calgary on a PTO. That's according to Elliot Friedman. And Frank Saravalli, who we have on the show weekly here on the Halford & Bruff Show from Daily Faceoff, says the Philadelphia Flyers are going to add some sandpaper with the John Tortorella era. They're bringing in former Vancouver Canuck Antoine Roussel on a PTO. Oh, okay. The beloved. Beloved. The yeah, beloved, beloved Antoine, Antoine Roussel. Roussel. That um, feels like, you know, when you you need some sandpaper and then you find some, 
in a discount bin somewhere, and you're like, yeah. this will do. The sandpaper has already been used. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know. That's, <laughs> it, it, you know what? It caught me by surprise, but then when I thought about it, I didn't because I know exactly what this is all about, right? It's almost like go to last year. Who had the most penalty minutes in the league last year? And then you go look, and you're like, Offer that guy a PT. Was it right? was it Rue? No, he had it a couple of years ago. I don't think it was too hurt. He didn't play enough last year. Yeah, but. he couldn't squeeze in as many ten minute misconducts right. as he as he'd have liked to. You know, now that it's, I, I want to say this. Like, I, he's he's no longer here. But if you go back and look at some of the box scores as to when Roussel took those ten minute misconducts, like he, there that was a guy that wanted to finish number one in the NHL in penalty minutes. Like, he de- definitely took that as a source of pride. And by God, he took a lot of them. Right? They would be. Yeah, the Canucks are losing seven two. Everyone's playing out the string. Oh, there's Roussel trying to get into it with someone, and he's got a 10-minute misconduct. Right? Maybe, maybe he also just liked to get to the dressing room early. For a shower. All yeah, the hot water. For a shower. Yeah, yep, sure. Yep, fresh, Why not? Fresh he wants bar, to so. beat the light up. That's yeah, savvy. That's right. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jim Toth from CJOB in Winnipeg. Well, we're going to talk Jets coming up next on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Broncos country, let's ride. Everyone on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Halford and Bruff of the morning is also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are going to pivot the show back into some NHL talk, hockey talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jim Toth is patiently waiting on hold to talk Jets. IMAC at 8 o'clock to talk Canucks. So for those of you that didn't love our half-hour dissertation on all things NFL, don't worry. We know that hockey season is starting. We'll get back into it starting now. Joining us on the line, very happy to talk to him again uh, from CJOB in Winnipeg, our good buddy Jim Toth here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning, gents. It's uh, I'm doing well. It's good to hear you guys. It's good to be back with you. We're kind of like the band getting back together for that band that never left the garage ever. <laughs> That's right. It's It's been a minute, hasn't it? It's been a while. It's good to get back talking to you. <laughs> it has. It's good to hear from you guys. It's good to see you doing so well and uh, good to be on. I appreciate it, bud. Thanks. So we wanted, when Friday happened, we're like, we got to get Jim for Monday to talk about this because this is very odd. The timing, the execution, all of it for the listeners that don't know what we're talking about. It's removing Blake captain or Blake captain, Blake Wheeler as the captain of the team, not naming a replacement, then getting Wheeler to go up there and talk to the media about it, having Rick bonus kind of explain it. And then everyone kind of saying, well, what happens next? And I'm not really hundred percent sure. Are you sure what happens now that this move has been made? Well, I don't know when and if, but it sounds like it's the beginning of the end for Blake Wheeler as a Winnipeg Jet. And yeah. uh, I would, uh, I, I would, that's just what I'm reading from it. You know, guys, to be honest with you, the way this offseason has gone and everything we heard from key Jet players, uh, including Blake Wheeler, but some other members who usually don't talk about the room or what's going on or the, the dissatisfaction amongst each other, like Kyle Connor and Nick Ehlers and, 
And uh, Paul Stasny, especially, who is very close with Blake Wheeler, and, and they uh, their families are close, and he's one of the reasons why Paul Stasny kept standing here. Some of his comments during the last couple of weeks of the seasons about not everybody being on the same page and pulling in the same direction. I mean, it was clear to me going into the offseason that they needed some changes and possibly in the core and the leadership group. Um, and, and so the surprising part to me to Friday, to be honest with you, wasn't the fact that this and it was the fact that Blake Wheeler was surprised it happened and, and his comments basically saying it's not the meeting I thought I was going to have when the head coach called to meet with me um, but he said you know I'm, I don't need an A or a C to me they need to go in a different direction we've seen this before with the Joe Thorntons and the Dustin Browns who, and, and more specifically Medano I remember saying I just don't want the responsibility and I want to just focus and enjoy playing hockey of being the captain that's not the case here. Um, Blake, over the past couple of off seasons, has spoken even about the Patrick Line trade and some other things that, you know, he he takes it very seriously. And at some points, I think two off seasons ago, he he came back to training camp saying he's going to adjust his the way he is a captain because he said he would take it home too often when guys weren't happy or the team wasn't doing well and it was affecting his family life. So I was just taken back by with everything that had gone on that Blake was surprised this was, this had happened because the two sides did talk about potentially moving on from each other and they seemed to agree with that. And the Jets, you know, looked into that in the off season. So. Um, but maybe that doesn't mean that he didn't think he wouldn't be captain. So the most surprising part to me and the bizarre part was is just how surprised Blake was about it. Hey, Jim, here in Vancouver, uh, we were a little bit surprised that the Canucks didn't make some more moves in the offseason. Now it's a flat cap, and Canucks management has acknowledged that it was just hard to make trades and you know contracts that weren't great were expensive to move out. And they said, listen, we just didn't want to pay the price to move out some of those contracts. I'm wondering if it if it's a similar sentiment in Winnipeg in that people expected some changes, maybe a core player or two moved out, and yet the team looks pretty similar. Yeah, no, it, it's been the topic of the summer for the Winnipeg Jets. And I, as we get closer and closer to training camp, which starts this week, all we keep hearing from fans is nothing will change. Like nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Why do you think they'll be better? And I do think, I do think they will be better. This is still a playoff roster in my opinion. Um, I, I just think that a coaching change, the defensive prowess, because defensive hockey has always plagued this team for years and what Rick bonus can bring to it, I, I think is good. I, I also want to throw in like the Brad Lowers that they've been added to the coaching staff. Scott O'Neill is a huge ad, I think, because although a lot of Jets fans, um, you know, think that that's just because he's a former Jet and his connections to the organization, but he's a highly sought after associate head coach or associate assistant coach. And so I, I like the, the direction they went there. But I just think you can throw this team, if you can fix what was wrong in the room last year, I think you can throw them on the ice and you'll be better. How much better is is yet to be seen. But I just think, and, and a lot of fans don't, a lot of fans here think that this this core needs to be changed. And a lot of fans think that this there's something wrong with this team that they needed and wanted a lot of changes. They went into the summer understanding that, that the Jets were going to make some moves and they just never did. The one thing I think some fans forgot is Kevin Cheveldayoff is the most patient man on the planet, and he will not make a move with, unless it makes the team better. And I think some some sharks circled about the Mark Shifleys and the Blake Wheelers of the world. I know people desperately want to get Brendan Dillon out of here because of his salary, but also what he brings. And the Jets just won't make a move, or Cheveldayoff won't, until it makes the team better. And I think that's what's happened this offseason. I think they looked at moving Blake. I heard it was at first just a hockey deal. They weren't going to eat any money. 
Um, I've now heard that they've like looked at eating some money and there just wasn't a move out there because it didn't make the jets better. So I, I do believe in the philosophy that if you put this roster back on the ice, they will be better than last year. I just don't know how much better, but they so underachieved last season and things went off the rails. Away. Dave Lowry came in and there was just so many players pulling in so many different directions. If Rick bonus and his coaching staff can come in here. And I think that's what part of Friday was guys by stripping Blake Wheeler of the captaincy. I think it was sort of a, I've talked to all of you. I've had in-depth conversations throughout the summer this is on all of you. I don't care what went on last year. I don't want to know. Maybe he does want to know. I don't know. But to me, part of this stripping of Blake Wheeler is sort of, you're a better team than you showed. You just got to stop pointing fingers and do it. You're on the same page and everyone's responsible. There's no captain. You all have to pull in the same direction. And I also think that if you don't, there's going to be changes. But it is shocking this offseason to some fans that they didn't do anything. What is Blake Wheeler's personality? Well, he's an A personality, and I, I, I get, I've always gotten along with Blake, but that's not my job to get along with guys. But I mean that because he can be abrupt, he can be rude, um, he will 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 stare you down and 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 be very very curt and short with you um, when asking about the team or or asking questions. I mean, there's probably a, a highlight reel of audio of him, you know, shooting back at reporters. But the bottom line, when it comes down to it, guys, is is he cares. He desperately wants to win a Stanley Cup, and he desperately wants to do it here in Winnipeg. He took great pride in being the captain of the Winnipeg Jets. and um, But he, he is that guy that can be abrupt. He's all in. He's 100 miles an hour all the time. And I think that that's part of his personality that might rub a Patrick Laine or maybe some other guys that like Dustin Bufflin. And I know they're friends. They went to each other's weddings. But there was some some animosity there that that you know I think Dustin was a guy that didn't take just liked playing hockey it was fun and didn't take it as life and death Blake takes it very very seriously so um, I, I think that that's part of the part that surprised me about Friday to him was I don't know if he notices it but and it's my just personal view covering the team I don't know him personally is I think it was a burden to him I, I think that he might just have a really good season this year if he's not, you know, so heavily involved in the intricacies of the room and, and who's playing hard and who isn't and just maybe takes a step back and just enjoys playing hockey again. The thing that, that stood out to me about Blake is is I just don't think he enjoyed playing hockey very much the past two years, given the way the team, when the team struggles, Blake wears it hard and it affects him and it affects his personality and it especially affects his personality with the media when they have questions about why the team's not playing well. So I don't know if I wrapped it up what he's like, but but that's kind of what he's like. That being said, if you know what you're talking about and and you have you know some some great questions for him, he'll talk and and he likes to talk hockey and and but the big thing is is he cares. Like I remember guys when they didn't make the playoffs for three or four years, and he had just become more of a consistent player and scorer, getting in the sixty point range. And it was in February, and I we was in a post game scrum with him, and he 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 couldn't stop swearing. Uh, that's how frustrated he was. And he said, "If I knew, I would I would tell you. And if if we could figure it out, we would." Nobody likes losing and stuff. And I'm like, you know, you're you're a rebuilding team. You're trying to do some things here. It's only February, and and yet he's that upset about it. And I've seen Blake several times after scrums or the next day tap me or somebody else on the shoulder and say. Hey, uh, you know, I get what you were trying to say there, but I didn't, I didn't like the questioning or something like that. So, 
I just think he's really intense and, and takes the game in a way that maybe some other players don't. And I think that's maybe what rubs some people the wrong way. But to me, as long as you bring it every night and on the ice, I, uh, I have no problem with that. But I know, obviously, I'm not in that room. I don't play with him. And, and I also, you know, haven't dealt with him in the media for, for a couple of years now. But he's just very intense and wants to win. I don't want to compare the Jets to the Canucks at every turn here, but um, the all-Canadian division season for the Canucks really caused some strife. And last season, at the beginning of the season, felt like a lot of that was still there. A lot of the unhappiness around the team was still there. Uh, The Canucks fired Travis Green, and they fired management, and they brought in Bruce Boudreaux, and Bruce Boudreaux was kind of a breath of fresh air for the Canucks. Um, is, I know the Jets had a better season than the Canucks in the, in the all Canadian division, but you know, a few months later, Paul Maurice quit and he said, you know, last season was just like, it was not an enjoyable time to be uh, a coach. It was like my least favorite season in the NHL as a coach. Is that season, is there, is, is there still any holdover from that? Like was, was it, did it get so bad as far as it just wasn't fun that maybe some personalities clashed when they might not have in in a regular season? Well, I'll put it to you this way. I don't think you or I or any fan out there will ever understand what that bubble was like. And we were just so thankful to have some hockey and so thankful to be. And Blake mentioned that during the bubble, he said, you know, as long as we can do it safely, because I have a family and three kids, he goes, I'm more than happy to start playing and deal with these circumstances um, to, to give people some joy for three hours a night, essentially, in what we're going through. But I've had more and more players, and Paul Maurice specifically has told us that that took a toll on him. And when, when he walked away, he mentioned that, you know, going to the rink wasn't as much fun as, as it always had been. And he joined us on our show here in Winnipeg after he signed with Florida. And I brought that up with him again. And, and I just said, I didn't bring it out of specifically. I just said, you know, Paul, can you just address once again, you know, the walking away. And what made it weird, guys, was they had two days of practices and then a game against Washington. And he walked away the morning of the game. And that always stuck out to me because I thought if you were going to walk away or the Jets were going to make a change, it would be on one of those two practice days. To do it on a game day after two off days was very bizarre to me. And Paul admitted then, he said, the bubble really, I can't explain it, but you are literally at the ring for an hour and a half and then by yourself the rest of the day, all day, unless you had a game. And I've heard players tell me about this and, and he was mentioning it. And he said, it just got to a point with me where I just was like, I, do I really need this I, right now? And I, he said, I didn't. So add in the fact that he always felt that he told us also that he wasn't coming back this year, this upcoming year. Anyway, he said that he had thought about, you know, they needed a new voice and needed a new direction and and last off season. And then they traded for Nate Schmidt and Brendan Dillon. And he said, I started looking at the rosters and my juices started flowing. I thought, well, maybe, but he said, we started nine, three and three. And then we had some COVID issues and and things were mounting up because I just realized that I, for me, need a break. I need to, to walk away from this. And so that's what he told us. And I, 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 I equate that a lot that, that I'll never understand what that was like because from a distance, I just loved every aspect of it. I got, you know, we got to cover hockey again. We got to see hockey again. But I think it affected everybody differently, much like the pandemic affected all of us differently, not just hockey players. 
But to them specifically, I, I think it did. And I think maybe, when, you know, when you're isolated or, or, or maybe when you're just isolated together, relationships change and, and things become more bizarre. It's no different than I think our own private lives. If, if you're all of a sudden spending 24-7 of a year in the same house with, with our spouses that we probably love and adore, the relationships change. And I think it did change a lot of hockey teams. We're speaking to Jim Toth from CJOB in Winnipeg here on the Halford Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I want to ask about two guys and their role in all of this in this dynamic and what the future has in store for them. Mark Shifley and Pierre-Luc Dubois. Let's begin with Shifley. Uh, what comes next for him? Well, that's interesting because I heard his comments and watched them at the end of the last year, and I watched his play more specifically, and, and I thought he was one of the guys not going in the same line as, as the coach, and, and especially when Dave Lowry took over and he simplified the system, and there were some nights where Dave Lowry sat him in key games in a loss in Philadelphia for a couple of minutes down the stretch in the third, and um, I just saw him as a guy pulling in a different direction. And he said what he said at the end of the year. And I thought, well, he's done. Like, they're going to have to move him. But then he came on with us about two weeks ago and basically just said, I was angry. I care. We were all frustrated. There was some discontent in the room. But he said, you know, it's nothing that didn't have, that doesn't come from losing. And he wants to be a big part of the future and, and going forward. The bottom line to me, guys, is, is he's going to be an unrestricted free agent in two years. And he's going to want some big money. He is on a sweetheart of a deal, like Nathan McKinnon, of $6 million a year. And I just don't know if the Jets can afford it. So even though I kind of believed him when he joined us about how much he wants to be here and, and win right now, I don't know the future is past the two years when he heads into unrestricted free agency. So I honestly don't know. I think just like Blake Wheeler, if there's a hockey deal out there that makes the Winnipeg Jets better, and I was told over 20 teams were interested in the offseason, given the comments he had, Unless it makes the team better, I just I don't think there's going to be a deal. But I do think that they'd be willing to make one, considering two years from now he's an unrestricted free agent, and the fact that they would like to change that core, and he could be one of those pieces they want to change. Well, you set the table nicely here for what might be the answer for the next guy. What's next for Pierre-Luc Dubois? Well, Pierre-Luc Dubois, I just don't think will be here. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting one. And, and I wonder, guys, you know, when he said what he said um, about the long-term contract during the playoffs that he was going to, you know, he told the Jets he was going to go to free agency, I kind of defended that stance because I, I'm of the belief that guys who know the money's going to be there, why would you stay? Why would you lock it up? Not saying he wouldn't be a Jet in two years, but the idea of going to free agency when you're a high-end player – like the Johnny Goudreau's or anybody else this offseason, I don't know why you would sign your unrestricted away in two years. Somebody's going to want you, and the money is going to be there if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois, if you're Johnny Goudreau, if you're Matthew Tuchuk. Why would you sign long-term unless you knew that you wanted to be there? But when his agent came out, and we all know agents speak for the, for the, for the client, and we all know that agents don't, never speak unless they want to put out something that he wanted to be a Montreal Canadian. So with Pierre-Luc Dubois, I just think he's gone. And, and I think, if, again, um, if it's not during this year, I think it'll be in the offseason next year that there'll be a trade done for him. He, his future here is not long, and I don't see them letting him walk to free agency. So I think Pierre-Luc Dubois might be here all year. I think they are going to try to run this back all year, gentlemen. But uh, come next offseason, I could see Pierre-Luc Dubois being somewhere else. Jim, great talking to you again, bud. Thanks a lot for doing this. All the best, guys. Thanks again, and uh, continued success. Yeah, you as well. Thank you. That's Jim Toth from CJOB Radio in Winnipeg talking about the Jets in a tumultuous room. 
there in Winnipeg on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sports. I just wonder if the Jets are going to have to rebuild at some point with all these guys wanting out. Uh, Mark Scheifele, he's got two years left before he's an unrestricted free agent. You know who else, Laddie, has two years left before he's an unrestricted free agent is Connor Hellebuck. And maybe he's going to look at that situation and go, is this where I want to stay for the rest of my career? Not because it's Winnipeg, because it might not be a very good team. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, imagine if, because I guess there's been the rumblings around John Gibson as well in Anaheim that he might be on the move as well. Those two pretty high-profile guys that could be going. And you don't see a lot of, well, you don't you see, hardly see any significant in-season goalie trades, but uh, most of the time they either solve it via free agency or, you know, you work a guy through the draft and bring up a prospect. That'd be interesting if both those guys would eventually be on the move. Because here's the thing, with you bring up a good point. With Winnipeg, like, who honestly, aside from the guys that are signed long-term, who's really going to lay down roots and commit to this thing when the room's kind of a mess, yeah. you don't know what direction the team's going in, like, bonus doesn't seem like a long-term solution, no. the captaincy is an issue. I, I do wonder who's going to want to hitch their wagon to this thing, not counting all the other issues that Winnipeg has kind of notoriously about attracting free agents. Man, that team had so much potential, and ultimately they just fell short, and I still look back at that series they had against Vegas to get to the Stanley Cup final. Couldn't win it. Yep. They got swept by the Montreal Canadiens in the All-Canadian Division uh, Series. They they swept the Oilers and then got swept by the Habs. That was another lost opportunity, mm-hmm. even though it was in the bubble, so it wouldn't have been you know quite as special if they'd done it that way. Plenty of opportunities. They had a good team. Um, and when you have talent and you have potential and things conspire against you or – Whatever, you know, it creates hard feelings, it creates frustrations, and sometimes it tears a room apart, and sometimes it tears a team apart, but we'll have to wait and see on on the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, the Vancouver Canucks, uh, their prospects have been up in Penticton, they're 2-0, and they beat the Flames, they beat the Jets, all good, not the most important thing, you just want to see good performance from the young players in tournaments like this. Uh, we're going to talk to Ian McIntyre coming up in about 10 minutes. Ian had a very busy weekend. Yep. Uh, up in Penticton because he was out there doing some some reporting, talking to Patrick Alvin, talking to Bruce Boudreau. Uh, I'm sure talking to a lot of people up there. It's a great opportunity for reporters to go up there, talk to everyone involved in the organization in a bit of a less formal way. Sure. Talk about expectations. Um, I, I've read all the articles that Ian has published. Um, he had an interview with Bruce Boudreau when Boudreau was – talking about Petey and saying, look, the sky's the limit for this guy. Um, he also addressed how the Canucks are going to play this season. Because remember at the end of the last season, I'm sure you all do, when we weren't even sure if Bruce Boudreaux was going to be back as head coach, and there were some rather pointed co- uh, comments from management about how the Canucks play and how they needed to improve some of their system work, how they needed to just, for lack of a better way of putting it, know where everyone is on the ice and what you're supposed to do out there. And I think that was a frustration for management at times. Um, you know, uh, we talked a lot about breakouts and I mean, it's, it's hockey one-on-one, right? And I, I think there was some frustration for management that maybe the Canucks didn't know exactly just what they were supposed to do in certain situations. Now, IMAX spoke to Bruce Boudreau and, and Bruce Boudreau kind of, downplayed those comments. He said, look, we're going to have our systems down knowing exactly how we play. Frankly, in the regular season, 
I've always been successful doing the same things. I don't see why I'm going to change. We've tweaked a couple of things with the new coaches and everything, and they've got some new ideas. But for the most part, we're going to play the same way, yeah. which is being an in-your-face, hard-to-play-against team and be exciting offensively. Now, the Canucks' forecheck was a, a key to their success under Bruce Boudreau. I'm sure they want to create an environment around Thatcher Demko where every night he doesn't have to stand on his head. Yeah. And if he has kind of a so-so night, they're still able to win some games. Uh, so I'm interested to talk to to Ian McIntyre coming up, asking some questions. What are some big takeaways from your conversations with Patrick Alvine? Of course, the big topic with Patrick Alvine is Bo Horvat's contract situation heading into training camp. We'll talk to him about his conversation with Bruce Boudreau. Maybe some of the prospects stood out at the tournament. And another thing we can ask iMac about, the sort of culmination of a weekend of work yesterday on Twitter he put out, that as the Canucks continue to seek help on defense ahead of the regular season, a name on their radar is Carolina Hurricanes blue liner, Ethan Bear. You've heard his name kind of loosely tied to the organization before. IMAC threw that out yesterday. So we'll ask him about his conversation with Boudreaux. We'll ask him about his conversation with Alvin, and we'll talk about the Canucks' potential interest in Ethan Bear. That's all coming up next. You're not going to want to miss it. It's Ian McIntyre on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650.